1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Chris Manning of Mag and the Locked on Cavs podcast. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time, man.
0: Of course, Mitch. Glad to be with you.
1: Of course. So now we go over to the conversation that everybody's been talking about since nine 20 ish last night, which was the Cavaliers losing to the Knicks 101 to 97. Now, as we've been talking earlier today, a lot of the physicality for the Knicks outmuscled the Cavaliers. You know, he had some uh, key plays late in the game that made the difference. I want to go to this first topic, which we got to earlier. With Donovan Mitchell playing great last night, he had a lot of most of the shots in the fourth quarter, really took over. And with that said, do you think that the Cavaliers keep going to Donovan uh, as their primary guy if they get to situations like this late in the game? Or do you think they would opt for kind of like moving the ball around a little more to get guys uh, that might otherwise be standing in in those ports of the game uh, to get more opportunities to try and go for the basket?
0: I I mean, I I think it's a mix. I I think one of the things that I I think if I had a critique of the Cavs offense for the season, and this was a top-tenish unit for most of the year, I, I think they're not dynamic enough at times. I think they can be very slow paced to a fault and make things harder on themselves. As good as Mitchell is, and I I wonder what he would say if you like kinda of pose this to him. Like I, I think when you let a defense load up and you're and you're stagnant and there's no kind of action to kind of free things up, I think you make it harder on yourself. I think if you did some DHOs with Mitchell to kind of get him moving, I think if you um Did some, some they run this double drag set, they could just run a standard picker. Like, you could do more stuff in certain instances to take some of the pressure off of Mitchell to just have to create everything on his own and to be the end all be all in those situations. So, to me, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah,
1: I could definitely see that. I think my question was more so of. Uh, how do you find that balance because the Cavaliers offense was able to do a, a, in in portions last night some really good things, especially when it seemed like when the Knicks would get out to a sizable lead, the Cavaliers were able to kind of chip their way back little by little. But in the end, New York was able to really uh, seal the victory, particularly with those rebounds, man. I mean, how frustrating is it to see a lot of those longer, high arcing missed shots just fall into the hands of the Knicks? Or even be, or even be knocked out, like you saw. I mentioned the one play with Isaiah Hartenstein, kind of slapping the ball towards the top of the key, which allowed, I believe, Brunson to get another opportunity for a score.
0: Yeah, I think there, there was a little last night of the Knicks just kind of went after a little more times, like just kind of going all around crashing the boards. Like there's a very big stylistic thing in the series that I think maybe exasperates some of what you're, you're getting at, like the Knicks. Are a weird style matchup for the Cavs. You know, styles make fights. Styles make basket playoff series. Like they crash the offensive glass. They 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 had they're really deep. They have just a lot of solid rock solid defenders in all these different spots. And they very much like have a core identity. Whereas like the Cavs have an identity. I think I don't think like it sounds that like this is a team just kind of like running through the wind here, but. I think, like, the Knicks kind of knew what they were this entire game. The Cavs, you could see with the way that Bickerstaff managed lineups, I think with who played in the first half and who didn't play in the second, J.D. Osmond getting a ton of burn in the second half. I think they were searching for answers, where the Knicks, even with Jalen Brunson, you know, not in the first half at least, not being a real factor. They very much just kind of knew exactly who they were from, from start to finish.
1: Chris, I, I asked myself this question, and I think I asked the viewers earlier on in the show. I mean, we had seen some of the the shortcomings the Cavaliers have had throughout the season where uh, at times the bench wasn't as strong as other uh, others has, especially with the Knicks. Um, one thing we got to talking was, even though the Cavaliers have lost 3 of 4 this year to New York, and you know the, they, there were different circumstances for each game. Like, oh, the Cavs didn't have this player, the Knicks didn't have that player, you know, Donovan was hurt during that time. With both teams pretty much at full strength last night, do you think the Cavaliers' uh, flaws got a little more exposed to the point where, you know, people are starting to maybe sell on this team a little more?
0: I mean, I think part of it is just the Knicks matchup. I think the Knicks are this really weird stylistic challenge. I think there are things you saw in this game that would give me optimism going forward. Like I think Mitchell has already pretty much figured out how the Knicks are going to defend him in the pick and roll and what kind of looks they're going to throw at him in terms of the guy, the, the center's coming up, in terms of which way they're going to let him go. I think like, he's going to keep dissecting that over and over and over again. But I think with the offensive rebounding stuff the Knicks had, with the, the, their depth, I think there's just things that they do that really press on some of the weaknesses of the Cavs. And the Cavs also just, like, they, they, they're going to run hot and cold with some of these rotation guys. Like LaVert played great down the stretch of the season. He was bad last night. Okoro like took shots you would hope he'd make, but he didn't always make them, even though I thought he did some really positive things. You know, Rubio gave you nothing. Dean Wade gave you nothing. Um you have to kind of ride some of that out, it to me it feels like. And it's not so much as I think we should reevaluate this team because I think they're really good. I just think the Knicks are also really solid and really press a lot of buttons. Like I Mitch, I don't know what your prediction was, but I kept seeing people go Cavs in five, like Cavs yeah. in six. From the get go to me, this was a seven game rock fight, drag it out kind of series. If you have watched the Knicks and understand what they are and understand what the Cavs are and the way those two things kind of smash each other in the face, I think this is just, this from the get-go is built to be a, a drag em out kind of series.
1: Yeah, I always said six, uh, even the, with with still a few weeks to go in the regular season and as it kept chugging along, especially after that uh, early late in the year loss to the Knicks at home, I was like, okay, this will go seven. Last night, though, I'm curious if it'll be maybe Nixon seven after this performance this coming night. So going back to what you mentioned about some of those bench guys really not giving you anything. Um, your core four right now after this game, Osmond, Lavert, Rubio, Wade. Do you think there is room potentially for bigger staff to expand that to the likes of maybe a Lamar Stevens or a Danny Green? Or do you think that he would still need a game or two to really let that go?
0: I think it's possible that he tries it. I mean, I think if anything, coming out of last night, we saw that he was willing to just say, okay, like, Ricky Rubio, you did not look good in the first half. Dean Wade, you did not look good in the first half and continue to look kind of timid. Let's go Jedi Osmond. And he wrote Jeddy Osmond not late in the game, in a point where, like, I, I kind of couldn't believe it just because letting Osmond be the Brunton defender to me felt risky. And, you know, JD got cooked a couple times, he held up a couple other times. It, it was kind of a give and take a little bit. But I, I wouldn't surprise me, Mitch, if, you know, you saw Danny Green, if you saw Lamar Stevens. Like, I, I don't know if you're going to get to, like, Howell Meto or Robert Lopez. I, I wouldn't go there. But, like, you know, it wouldn't shock me if you're like, okay, like, we just need competent wing defense and three-point shooting. Let's give Danny Green 12 minutes, you know. But I, I also think – I also think this was a team in the regular season that was really driven by its starters. They they played yeah. one of the highest rates of starter minutes in the league. I think some of this cleans itself up if you get more out of Garland, if you get more out of Mo you get more out of Allen, none of whom I think played particularly well last night. Even Mitchell, you know, he went through this in his post game. He, he identified like four plays where he did things that kind of cost them points, cost them possessions. Um, mm. I think it's out, tighter performances from their starters, who are going to play heavy minutes and will kind of dictate things. I think that has to be just as – that to me is almost a bigger deal. That is a bigger deal to me, not almost. to be declarative that was a bigger deal to me than what he got for the bench because the starters have driven this team success all year. You have, those guys have to be better if they're going to win game two.
1: Chris Manning joining us here on the North Ol- Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Chris, going back to the play of those two bigs you have for the Cavaliers and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, particularly Mobley, where it just seems like a couple of times he wasn't able to convert on the looks that he normally gets within two to five feet of the hoop. Um what does he really have to do Tuesday night, not only to create himself more opportunities and scoring for the Cavs, but also to work his way around those big beefy uh, uh, post players for the Knicks and the likes of Julius Randall, uh, Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson.
0: I mean, I think part of it is he has to just, I think just kind of be put in spots to kind of get the ball and just dunk. I think some of it is like he was dropping passes last night. Um, his hands were slippery. They were buttery. Like he was, not exactly, I think, kind of holding his own in his spots. And the Cavs are not going to win the series. If he's getting outplayed by Mitchell Robinson, whose hustle was all over the place last night and was nabbing off into rebounds, and he's going to get outplayed by Hardenstein, who is a good player, but, like, I think, Allen, you'd expect him to be better than Hardenstein. Allen can't get played by those guys. And, and, frankly, Mobley can't either. Like, you have to be in a position where, like, those guys are winning those matchups. You're not going to win a series when your team is sort of defined by this two guys and those guys
1: get straight up outplayed. Uh, Chris, there was one thing I wanted to ask you regarding the coaching decisions by JB Bickerstaff last night, because as much as I've heard, you know, some people critique his uh, coaching decisions and, you know, a lot of you, I think a lot of people went in the, into these playoffs with a preconceived notion of, well, he doesn't have a lot of experience in the postseason, So he's not going to have that sort of edge in comparison to somebody like of all names that I was thinking of Tom Thibodeau. Um, that being said, What did you make of uh, JB's coaching performance last night relative to uh, the way his players carried themselves out on the floor?
0: I I think he has, like, one of the biggest things for him all year has been that he is very even-keeled. And, like, he, I think, is very in tune with the team. There was also just, like, a time last night where I wondered if it would have made sense for him to get a technical. Hmm. I don't always, like, I'm not in the, I'm not an NBA player. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know if this stuff, like, actually galvanizes teams or this particular group. But sometimes, like, I think one of the things that has been, and the team has talked about this, they don't really have any, like, fiery personalities. They don't have, like, real, like, a kind of edgy kind of guy. Like, they don't have, like, their own Dylan Brooks or Pat Beverly. Like, they don't have Mm -hmm. that kind of, like, instigator kind of fiery guy. Sometimes I wonder if, like, if there's been times this year where I've wondered if bickers and last night was maybe the best example. It's like, okay, you're, the refing is driving you mad. The players are frustrated. The arena is tense. The arena was chanting, like, refs, you suck, like, in the second quarter. Like, they were there. Like, they were on board with whatever you were going to do to kind of irritate them. I wondered if it's just, like, you go to the cleaners, like, you, you take it there, and you get a technical. You show – like, you just make – you just, just, just lose it in that one moment on a call, like whatever call you kind of feel is unjust and just does that, does that kind of provide that fire? Does that provide some kind of spark? Does that like do something? I just wondered if there's times where like he maybe needs to be that fiery kind of guy because like, they just don't have anyone on the floor who's going to do Donovan. If you watch Donovan during games after possession, even when things go wrong, he's like clapping. He's like, we're fine. He's key a calm guy. Darius does a lot of the same thing. Yeah. They I, sometimes I just wonder if like he has to be the one that kind of provides some of the fire, some of that juice.
1: Chris, last question before we let you go. Uh, When I ask you, is game two a must-win for Cleveland? Obviously, it's in the sense of, yeah, so they get a victory, so they can even the series. But in terms of the Knicks heading back home, where the Cavs have struggled on the road this season, not just at the Garden, but other places, is game two a must-win or the series is done?
0: I don't know if it's done, but, I I mean, you're putting yourself in a massive hole. You go down 2-0, you have to then win twice in New York, which, I mean, Mitch, think about what game three... Even if it's one-one, but if it's 2-0, can you think about how nuts MSG is going to be for Game yeah. Three for, for 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 these guys going into the playoffs for the first time? For the most part, like Mitchell will be fine. It's everybody else, and Danny Green will be fine, but like he's not <laughs> Darius Garland. He is not Evan Mobley. He is not Jared Allen. Like who has played nine playoff games? But that's not like a massive sample, and it's not like the biggest biggest games. Like you have to be. I, I think like Game two Game two get you get you back on the board with a win you get a little more evened out everything feels a little bit more normal you write the shit maybe some things go wrong maybe things go better and you give yourself some positivity to go into game three and maybe you try to take that one or, or try to get you know three or four i i think it is a must win i don't know if it is um like i think we can come back from two zero, but would i put that at like the highest odds no i i think you need to i think you really need to reassert yourself in game two the next one game one and kind of like as much as the game is close and a couple of things go your way you, Cleveland could have got a win. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could have won that game. It was tied in like the third quarter. But the Knicks, to me, hold the edge, hold the momentum coming out of game one for whatever that is worth. And I think game two has to be kind of a big bowler for Cleveland.
1: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.